remain risen and receive these words of Scripture from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 21, beginning with the fifth verse. When some are speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, and all will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and as various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify so make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Receive what the Spirit is saying. I invite you and all of us who are together in this space to now pray together. Gracious and loving God, make us instruments of your peace by the power of your holy and living word. May my words this day bear something of yours that we might know you more, trust you more, and live more fully according to your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When things are falling apart, how do you keep it together? When you feel under attack or like people are pulling you this way and that, how do you hold your center? When obstacle after obstacle is thrown in your path, how do you keep moving? When you feel you don't have what's needed to meet the moment in which you find yourself, from where does your help 
come? How do you persevere? Our gospel for today is one in which Jesus names how things fall apart through human choices, how misleading voices in the world will try to lure you and me from what is true, how the movements of earth can cause and do cause natural disasters that do terrible damage, and how seeking to follow Jesus' way of peace with justice, of love and compassion and mercy, how that will lead to conflict, even with some of those you love best. In other words, Jesus doesn't pretend that these things are not part of our human experience or of our Christian experience. As we hear the words read today, they must sound, I imagine, painfully familiar to our own experience today. But Jesus in this passage is not just teaching that calamities and conflicts are to be expected. It's also a teaching about how we will be given what we need to persevere. There are two contexts for the passage that we heard read in the gospel. The first is the historical event of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. It's unknown exactly when the author of Luke wrote his account of the life of Jesus, but it is likely after the Roman-Jewish war during which the temple was destroyed. One scholar suggests that relations between Jews and Christians had been relatively positive before the war, with many who followed the way of their rabbi Jesus would still worship in their local synagogues. But that after the war, after Jerusalem was destroyed, the scholar writes, Christians began blaming the Jews and Jews began blaming the Christians for the destruction of the temple and the city. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it certainly sounds possible because it's what happens in every age. When I read that the Jews and the Jesus-following sect of the Jews in the late first century were at each other, I reminded myself that both of these groups were under the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. Isn't this, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't the Jews or the Christians who destroyed the temple. It was agents of the Roman Empire who were responsible for throwing the beautiful stones of the temple down. But it's the way it goes again and again throughout history, the poor and the oppressed and those in solidarity with them turn on one another. We see it happening all over the political landscape today. We see it in the church. Those who have something that they need, 
who are feeling oppressed, instead of banding together with others like them who share a common source of suffering, they turn on one another. Rather than, than organizing around their common cause and working together to make things better. This was part of the context in which Luke was writing. The other context for our text today is the literary context. The passage that Dan read for us is situated in what we call Holy Week, between Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and before his arrest. These words of Jesus, uh, put in his mouth and organized in the book of Luke, are there offered to a first-century community experiencing persecution. They were in this time of being persecuted both by Rome and by their siblings of different faith traditions. And they were experiencing the pain and the ruin and grief that inevitably follows war. And the words of Jesus in this text, as, as shared in the book of Luke, are not about predicting a future, but about acknowledging what has already happened, what was happening. The people were suffering. Things were falling apart. They were being persecuted. They were fearful of what was going to happen to them for living out their faith as they felt called and empowered by spirit to do. This is what Jesus was speaking to through this passage. And we also recall that in the literary context, what happens immediately after this is that Jesus moves more fully into the betrayal, the denial, the slander, the arrest, and ultimately crucifixion. And those who received this book of Luke, the very first ones who ever received these lines, knew the end of the story already. Jesus, they knew, did not stay in the grave after the crucifixion. But rather, they know that even after being thrown down by the powers of the world, Jesus rose up to live by the power of God's love and mercy. They, like we, are invited to read these hard words, these confusing words from Luke, through the lens of a risen Christ. We read these lines guided by the wisdom of a living Christ's teaching and example. And Jesus begins in this passage by reminding us to discern carefully who we follow. Because there are false prophets and there are false messiahs. There are those who promise life and health and peace and happiness and happy, happy, clappy, joy, joy, joy with no sacrifice required, but who will lead you down a primrose path to disappointment and emptiness. There are those who take the name of Jesus in vain, politicians and even pastors who suggest implicitly or explicitly that Jesus condones policies and practices that do harm to people and to creation. These are false prophets. 
If we are to discern what is false and instead remain focused on the wisdom and way of Jesus, we need to stay close to God. We need to attend to our prayer life. We need to attend to our spiritual practices. We need, we need to read a little bit of scripture every day. How about that? Jesus says in verse 15 of our text that he will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. I want to suggest that Jesus is not here predicting some future magic moment when all of a sudden you're going to start quoting chapter and verse of biblical passages that you've never read. I don't think that's what this is about. Rather, it's about your relationship with God, your reflection, your study of the scriptures, your practices of prayer and service, all of these things give you spiritual resources that live in your core, provide an anchor for you. Those resources will be available when you are in time of confusion, stress, loss, conflict, or grief. Remember, when Jesus was tempted to wander away from God, it was the scriptures living deep within him that he had studied and repeated and learned throughout his entire life, from the time he was as little as Benjamin, memorizing the words, soaking up the words, so that at that critical moment, when our promise, the promise of life, the promise of salvation for the world could have gone off the rails, Jesus called on that resource. That's what I'm suggesting this is about. And it's not just Jesus who has shown us how that works. I, I imagine you have seen, as have I, people of faith, people who are the saints in our lives, who in moments of conflict or crisis bring themselves into the tension without anxiety and with words that seem to flow from deep in their being, words of scripture, lyrics of hymns, prayers that are smooth and well-worn from use. And sometimes what's offered by these saints in our lives is offered perhaps not through actual words from the tradition, but simply wisdom gained through journeying with Christ, close with Christ, through all the seasons of their lives. They have persevered and they have learned how to endure each new conflict or tragedy with grace. Can you picture who those people are for you? I see a lot of them out there for me. How does God give us power to persevere? Through grace that helps us train like athletes in the ways of God, so that when a test comes, we have the spiritual muscle memory to remain steadfast, 
The teachings of Jesus encourage us to watch, to pay attention, to not turn away from the things going on outside you, but to pay attention to all that is outside of you and then draw on the resources that live inside of you to discern and to choose and to persevere. How else does God give us power to persevere? I would say that it is through grace that helps us keep a God-centered perspective. Perspective is how we frame reality, how we hold what is, what's happening. If your perspective is primarily that the world is going to Hades in a handbasket, then it might be difficult to persevere. If you perceive any present crisis as the end of the world, as if whatever's happening now hasn't happened before and the world has come through it, it might be difficult to persevere. If you believe that there is no love, no forgiveness or compassion for you, it might be difficult to persevere. If your perspective is that people are awful and can never be trusted, it might be hard to persevere. If your perspective is that nothing you do in your life really matters or makes a difference, it might be difficult to persevere. Our perspective matters a lot. But the wisdom we receive from our text today and the perspective woven through the Bible, the frame within which we are able to remain steadfast is this. This is the frame. This is the perspective that God is the Alpha and the Omega, active in the beginning and working for good every day until the fulfillment of all things, that any present moment of suffering is just one moment in the ongoing mending of the world, that we are given grace to be co-creators of the kingdom with God, that God helps us bear witness to what is good and beautiful and true, even in the midst of trial, and that God loves you so much that you will be brought through to a new life on the other side of any challenge or pain. And this is not just hyperbole, this isn't just wishful thinking. These are the promises of a God who put this power of love to work to raise Jesus to new life after he suffered the worst the world can do. This is the promises of God who brings new life after new life after new life into our lives and into the world. There are countless examples of this. You don't have to believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead to believe these promises of God. Because some in this room, I imagine, could testify that when it seemed that grief 
would steal their lives, new life was found. Some here could testify that when, when they felt abandoned and utterly alone, love and friendship showed up at their door uninvited. Some here could testify about how they once lived at the bottom of a bottle or the end of a needle, but stumbled into the rooms and found themselves restored. Some here could testify about how a community working together for justice changed lives and ensured safety for their neighbors, even in the midst of the worst tragedies. We see out in the world and all around us courage emerge in response, selfless service, generosity of every kind, and love, it all bubbles up in beautiful ways. Reminders that hatred and violence are not all there is, not by a long shot. Keeping this perspective is not something we do on our own. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to lose things. I lose my keys, I misplace my phone, I forget my umbrella, and on and on it goes. But you want to know what I struggle to keep hold of the most? Perspective. Weariness, sadness, injustice, foolishness, anger, disappointment, these things can knock me out of a God-centered frame so quick that before I know it, I have fallen into a deep hole where everything is gray and lifeless and despair lurks around every corner. In some churches, I would say, can I get a testimony? Is there a witness out there? I don't think I'm alone, is what I'm saying. In that place, I cling to my anchor, who is Jesus. And I'm often called back to my center through the kindness of a parishioner or the call of a friend or the hug of a child. or the laughter shared among colleagues or friends. We need one another to keep this perspective, to remember what is true, to not be led astray by the voices that would tell us that all is wrong in the world. It's not. That all is lost in the world. It's not. That all is hopeless in the world. It's not. But we need one another to be able to hold that and to be held in the frame of that perspective and that promise. Our shared life through friendship and service and 
worship and study and care helps us keep that perspective. We can hold on to one another when we see each other falling. We can model for one another the virtues that inspire hope and faith. We can remind one another of the promises of God in the scriptures and the ways that our hope in the future is not in vain because we know what God has done in the past. We can call others into meaningful acts of advocacy and service to help them recognize their agency and co-creation of a more just and tender world. As I've been working on this reflection for today, a song lyric from the band R.E.M. has been dancing around in my head. I imagine some of you know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. What's next? And I feel fine. God gives us the power to persevere. Even in the midst of a moment when it feels it's the end of the world, we can say, God is good all the time. And I'm going to be fine. It's going to be all right. Because God is God and God's heaven, as they say. We don't have to have it all together or always get it right. We're simply asked to trust that God will give us what we need to persevere in ways that bear witness to the love, justice, mercy, and new life that God is always raising up in this beautiful, broken world. By grace, may we do it, trusting that everything, everything in the final analysis really is going to be more than fine. Thanks be to God.